welcome to the Dr. Dion Show, where real conversations about diversity matter. I'm an educator and consultant specializing in diversity and inclusion. In this show, I interview top experts and people like you and me, highlighting issues like race, gender, and disability. I'm here to create change, expand your understanding of what diversity means, and to continue the mission toward equality so that everyone has a fair shake. This show is not for the faint of heart, so put on your big girl and big boy pants and ride along. Hello and welcome to the Dr. Dion Show. Today I'm excited to be joined by Ms. Carrie Sheffield, who is the CEO of a fairly brand new network called Bold. Is that correct? Uh, it is called Bold. Uh, we're about two and a half years old, but we've gone through many different iterations. So in some respects, it is very new, but in some respects, it's two and a half years old. Okay, great. Well, it's lovely to have you on today. Can you tell our audience uh, 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 more about yourself other than being the CEO of a, of, a, of a wonderful new network? Sure. Thank you, Dion. Thanks for having me. And uh, thanks for your great podcast. Very important work that you're doing. So um, I am originally from Utah, my family, but... Uh, we moved around quite a bit. I went to 17, one seven public schools. Wow. Homeschool growing up. So I've always been the new girl. I've always been one of those observers growing up just because we moved so much. And so that I think really inspired me to want to study journalism in college. And so I studied journalism, moved to Washington, became a journalist covering Capitol Hill for the Hill newspaper and for Politico and the Washington Times. Um, and then I went to Harvard for my master's uh, in public policy. And then I went to work in finance at Goldman Sachs and at Moody's. Uh, and then jumped ship to work for a think tank and then launched Bold. That's so been a, a, a very circuitous route to combine my two passions of journalism and finance together. And that is incredible. That's, that's, that's amazing. So, so, so let's go back for a second. So you grew up in Utah. Well... No, I, my family is from there, but I, I, as I said, I went to 17 public schools, so I'm really not from, when people say, where are you from? I say I'm from America. <laughs> <laughs> so how long, how long were you, so when you were born in Utah, so how long, how long were you in Utah before I you moved? I was born in Fairfax, Virginia. Oh my gosh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> my family, my ancestors helped settle Utah and my parents grew up there. Oh, they helped settle Utah? Yeah, they were Mormon pioneers in the 1800s. That is... So my roots are very, very Utah is what I'm saying. I see. Okay. That is incredible. So are you, so are you, so are you um, a Mormon, if I may ask? Well, I've written very publicly about this in the Washington Post. Uh, I'm an ex-Mormon. So my ancestors, uh, as I said, they helped to settle Utah um, at the direction of Brigham Young, the second prophet of the Mormon church. Uh -huh. um, and so I was raised very strict Mormon. Um, but I am no longer Mormon anymore. I'm actually Episcopal, um, but I still have many family members that are still Mormon. And uh, when I was younger, I think I went through an anger phase where I was angry at the Mormon church, but now I, I have a lot more respect for it. And I think I found kind of a, a healthy understanding and, and respect, even if I disagree with um, some of the doctrine. So. Mm -hmm. That's amazing. And I actually, I, I went to Rice University and I remember competing at BYU a few years. Yeah, so I was, I was always, it was always very interesting to go and, and visit Utah because things were shut down very early. 
and it was a very different type, type of lifestyle. So I'm very, I was very curious to see how, how that was for you growing up. Well, cool. Or, or just with that, that influence. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's very uh, distinct. And in some respects, I think that's why I'm able to do what I do in terms of I've always been a, an observer because when you're Mormon, they have this phrase that they say that Mormonism, you're peculiar people. Hmm. And they like that phrase. They wear it with pride to say we're peculiar. That means that we're different. We're special. We are apart. We're set apart from the rest of the mainstream culture. So I always grew up very set apart and not really immersed in American culture. And so I think I've always been more of an observer. And so I can understand a lot of the strengths and a lot of the pathologies. Um, and Mormonism has its own of both of those, too. It's <laughs> yes. Yes. Yeah, I, I think there's pathology in, in, in pretty much every, every religion, every yeah. group of people you can, you can find, I'm sure. But any culture, like any yes. mainstream American so culture has a lot of pathologies. And, and then since and I wasn't immersed are, in it, I feel like I have, uh, exactly. like I like to say, if, uh, if you're not three talk boiling in the crock pot, digital if you're not immersed in the crock pot where everything's swarming around you, if you're on bold business, pot, you can really understand something better than if you're uh, those are the three main verticals covered in it. And you're right. Absolutely. And, and, I, and, I'm, and as you said, I'm, I'm sure that does tie into your work because I know that time holds. And I'm going to ask you to tell us a little bit about it. Ran for Congress. Wow. You know, before that, he was a celebrity on. American Idol and Celebrity Apprentice. I remember seeing him. Mm -hmm. yeah, yeah, he likes to joke he's America's number one, number two, because he came in second on Idol, second on Celebrity Apprentice, and then second in his congressional run to the Republican. <laughs> <laughs> his favorite number is two. Yep, yep. So, uh, but he's a he's outspoken uh, Trump critic, and I'm a Trump supporter. So we're constantly bringing on folks from the left and the right to dialogue, healthy debate. The whole purpose of the show and the intention is to have a conversation, um, to basically profit off of collaboration rather than profit off of conflict, because that's that's how the traditional cable models uh, are built around. Absolutely, absolutely, I love that. So now, what is that like? So, so I, I haven't had a chance to see the format of your show with with Clay Aiken. So you have obviously opposing views. Um, I'm, uh, that said, you probably do have some kind of overlapping. Um, ideologies at some point, but but what do you do before your show begins? Do you discuss an issue before and, and you try to come to consensus on how you're going to approach it, or do you just have um, dissenting views outright on the show? Well, because our co-host, uh, and if Clay's out, I'll have a, a guest host, we always make sure, or if I'm out, we'll have a guest host, and we always make sure that both sides are represented by the host, a left and a right. Mm -hmm. We will not have a politics show without both sides as the hosts. Because the hosts are really the drivers of the show. Uh, and so then when we're doing our guest selection, uh, when we're doing debate panels among, so I like to think of people on our show typically as newsmakers or mm -hmm. news analysts. So kind of the two categories. So if you're a newsmaker, you're a member of Congress, you're a member of the administration, uh, you're just a high profile political figure that's a newsmaker. But if you're uh, a news analyst, maybe you're a writer for a magazine um, or a pundit or a radio host, something like that, you're more of a news analyst, um, we have a mix. And so when we have a news analyst panel, we, we are very conscious of making sure there's left, right on the panel. If we have a newsmaker, uh, those tend to be more solo just because they are a bigger name and we, we're giving them more space but we always as i said make sure that the drivers of the show that will always be left and right represented on the show 
and so like last week, for example, uh, we had a host uh, from CNN on the show um, who was critical of President Trump. And then we also had a, a host from Fox News on the show who's very supportive of President Trump. Mm -hmm. uh, we often bring on Democratic members of Congress. We brought on, uh, for example, the, uh, the daughter of Malcolm X, who is very supportive of Black Lives Matter. And then wow. brought on Black conservatives who are very supportive of uh, President Trump and, and against, or not against Black Lives Matter, but maybe critical or saying that, that it's lacking in agenda um, and is acting more in anger rather than a constructive dialogue. So uh, we try to have multiple perspectives and, and it's really more than just two sides. It's, I think it's 360. It's, it's, it's looking at it from a comprehensive vantage point. That's awesome. I love that. So how did this come about? Well, I know you said that Bold's been through a few iterations before it became Bold, but what, what started all this? Yeah, well, the, the initial um, genesis was that I was frustrated as a conservative that I didn't see that there was a media outlet that, that catered really well to women, uh, minorities, people of color, millennials, um, LGBT, and all the groups that progressives do very well with, but conservatives do really poorly with. Mm -hmm. um, and so I wanted to basically create a conservative version of the Huffington Post. Um, that was the initial huh. goal of it. I, I, I wanted to be who Ariana could have been because when she was younger, she was conservative and then she switched. And she switched on the issue of poverty is what she told, uh, or at least what the Harvard Business Review reported of what made her change because they did a case study of the Huffington Post. Uh, and they said she changed because of the issue of poverty. And she said that conservatives approached poverty, made her change. Uh, and when I read that, I thought, well, that's interesting because um, my parents were on welfare when I was younger <laughs> and I grew up very poor. So hmm. I had personal experience with poverty. And, and then later on when I, as I mentioned, worked for a think tank or a think tank scholar, um, I worked directly with a scholar who works for a think tank and um, he, specializes in issues of inequality and poverty. Mm -hmm. So I said to myself, someday I'll debate Ariana on this issue of poverty and I'll explain to her <laughs> why she drifted and it was wrong. <laughs> but, uh, so uh, that was the initial goal, was that I wanted to create a um, conservative place uh, for uh, the others. Since I had grown up as a religious minority, Mormons are very persecuted. Um, Mormons, the reason they even went to Utah at the time is because it technically wasn't even a state. It wasn't even part of the country as a state. It was just a desert wasteland. Wow. They were literally thrown out of the country. Wow. Um, and Abraham Lincoln um, was fairly anti-Mormon and bigoted against Mormons, uh, as were a lot of the political leaders of the day, uh, both at the state and federal level, uh, including in Missouri, where it was legal to murder a Mormon by executive order of the governor. Uh, really? Yeah, I believe until 1976, I want to say, or maybe 1978, forget which, but um, it was called the extermination order. And uh, so I grew up, you know, living in other parts of the country where, especially in the South, Mitt Romney saw some of this, um, where, you know, the Southern Baptists and evangelicals are very much anti-Mormon and they believe that it's full of Satan. So I, was, I saw this religious persecution um, growing up as a religious minority, mm -hmm. uh, and also as a woman and poor. <laughs> and and uh, I mentioned I went to 17 schools. Uh, two of my schools I went to, I was in the minority racially. I was, it was, they were both majority black, uh, and I experienced um, 
alienation and uh, people who were judging me and, because I was white and calling me names and, um, you know. Wow. They bullied me. They, they said I was a lesbian. And they also thought our family we were from Ireland because they couldn't understand the way I Wow. Where, where, where was that? Was, was that? I was an Irish lesbian. <laughs> <laughs> where, where was that, if I can ask? Where, where, where is that? Was that in the South or? Um, no, that was uh, in Kansas City, in, in, in Kansas, City. Kansas City, Missouri, yeah. So, uh, and the schools were sadly just very poorly run. Um, and at one point, um, the Kansas City, Missouri School District lost their accreditation as I understand it. Oh, wow. Wow. Uh, okay, so. so I, just saw, I just saw the decrepit state of our urban schools, and that, that is, is also part of why I'm conservative, uh, just because I believe in school choice very strongly. I, I know there are some Democrats who believe that as well, and so I applaud them. But anyway, I, uh, I'm rambling, but I guess the short of it is to say that initially I wanted Bull to be a conservative place, um, but over a series of lots of events, we became bipartisan. Well, I was going to ask you that question. So, so you're, 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 you're pro school choice, which I actually am, I am as well. Um, and you've described, I guess, so to speak, being the underdog in certain, in certain places, um, and religious persecution, um, and just, and just being in favor of, I guess, the, I guess the underdogs. You so said you, you talked about, um, the lesbian and gay community. You talked about, um, um poverty. You talked about, um, um, people of color, religious persecution. Those all, if you look at these on the, on the surface, those seem to be all issues that resonate with the democratic party. So I'm, I'm, so I'm, I'm curious to know, uh, and, 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 and from, from your perspective, how does that reconcile with the conservative movement uh, or the conservative party and, and support of Trump, if I can ask? Yeah, so uh, for me, it all boils down to policy. And, you know, I think there's a big difference between uh, marketing and um, the way you say something versus your actions and your policies. And I think that that's part of the big disconnect that we have right now um, with a lot of the policies that I see from the Trump administration. Because I, I actually, part of why Bold um, switched to become bipartisan was because I, I was not a Trump supporter. Um, and so Bold had this sort of identity crisis because we, we were working um, with The Blaze. We were working with Glenn Beck's outlet, cable outlet, The Blaze. Glenn Beck, wow. That's, yeah. he's, pretty, he's pretty radical. Well, yeah, part, part of why I wanted to work with him is because I wanted to help bring his, his, his audience more uh, to understand more and, uh -huh. and, to be embracing and to be more empathetic. I wanted to help the conservative movement work on its messaging. I see. Because again, to me, there's a disconnect between actions and words and the way you say something versus what are you doing. Mm -hmm. On the left, I would say that Obama was an incredible speaker and the way he said things was so musical. It's like music to your ears. I remember, um, I think it was Will I Am uh, from Black Eyed Peas released it. Basically, it was almost like a, a rap or it was a song where he interwove his own commentary with Barack Obama's speeches. And it's yes. incredible, just very lyrical. Mm -hmm. And, um, <laughs> excuse me. Uh, you, I don't, you really couldn't say that about Trump style. <laughs> <laughs> um, no. <laughs> uh, and so for me, it's, it's uh, one thing that Trump would say often is, you know, establishment politicians, they're all talk and no action. 
And so when you see the actions and the substance and the policies that were implemented under the Obama team, um, they were really bad for these groups. They were really bad. Um, I mean, in, and not only these groups in particular, but for, for the country more broadly. Um, but when you look at uh, regulation that helps protect large incumbents, which Dodd-Frank is, uh, that you know, financial regulation, for example, that was passed by the Democratic Congress and signed by President Obama, that uh, regulation, I, I wrote an article about this, uh, my alma mater, the Harvard Kennedy School, showed that there was a distinct correlation between the decline and collapse of, uh, and just a more rapid demise of community banking because of that bill. Community banks are the ones who serve the small clientele. These community banks are the ones who serve the customers who the big banks reject. Community banks are the yes. ones who serve poor and minority customers. And so we saw a lot of Black-owned community banks that were shuttered under the Obama leadership. Yeah. I did not know that. Yeah, we also saw the, uh, the widest disparity between Black and white unemployment levels, i.e. whites, the gap between white employment and black employment, the gap between blacks who were able to find work and whites who were able to find work, the biggest disparity happened under Barack Obama's watch. And now we're seeing under Trump's watch that disparity has shrunk considerably, but even more importantly, we're also seeing black workers and Latino workers who are getting off the sidelines. A lot of them had been discouraged. There's a technical term called discouraged workers. <laughs> getting off the sidelines and getting back into the workforce and black unemployment is the lowest it's, I believe that it's ever been um, so, so, now it, so now in all fairness so 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 could could we um, and I'm not a, I'm not a political um, uh, um, I don't know politics as well as you do clearly um, but I do know that a lot of but there was a, a there was a concerted effort to kind of keep back Obama's um, his, his, his um, I guess his approach, like they, they were, there was a, they, it was openly said that we want to derail, stop whatever he's trying to implement. So what, what, could that have influenced the outcome of, of his accomplishments as a president or you don't think so? Well, I think uh, you saw in the first two years when it was a Democratic Congress with President Obama, a Democrat in the White House, that's when you saw the Affordable Care Act, Obamacare, which, uh -huh. you know, again, it's hurt a lot of poor minority folks from getting health care and it's it's deteriorated the quality and it's increased the cost for them sadly mm. um, and then the dot frank that i mentioned so there were a lot of things that happened in those first two years that have been bad for um marginalized communities but then after that when the republicans uh took control uh first of the house and then the senate um you saw the president basically, then President Obama, pivot and do a lot of executive orders that oftentimes ended up being struck down by the courts as an overreach. For example, mm. for example, DACA. Part of why Barack o or um, Donald Trump uh, unwound DACA was because he was under threat of being sued by multiple solicitors generals from states around the country who said this order is manifestly illegal. Um, because Congress expressly has the authority to regulate immigration policy, not the executive branch. And so for Barack Obama to step up and make this entire new class of individuals under immigration policy is illegal. And so 
they were threatening this under Trump and said, if you don't repeal it, we're going to sue. Um, so that was part of why he did it. And I, and I just, I think there is a strong case for what he did with DACA, which making it illegal. And, uh, and same thing with other executive orders he did on um, uh, climate change. And then the nuclear, Iranian nuclear deal, he, he entered into that. That was, it wasn't a legally binding deal. It was just basically Barack Obama signing a paper. <laughs> like the Senate has to ratify treaties. And Barack Obama entered our country into this treaty, essentially, as I would argue, with the facto treaty without, without the proper authority. And so that's why I think it's, it's, it's actually um, pretty uh, ironic to hear folks uh, saying that Trump is trying to tear down uh, social norms or, or civic you know, rule of law. Uh-huh. Arguably, his predecessor was the one who was doing that. Anyway, I don't need to go down this route. But I will be remiss if I didn't talk about the fact that children and their parents were being torn apart at the border. Um, and I and and I think you, I like the way you, you you expressed it that there's a the, the, the gap between the actions and the words. Um, even if uh, so, I'm, I'm I'm Canadian and I came here legally. I went through the proper channels, like you know, I'm not, I came here legally. So I so I do understand that that, that people should um, find a way to come to a, a, a country legally. Um, I, I do. I'm also sympathetic that that people are fleeing um, whatever plights are happening in their own countries. But I, I, but I cannot get behind the fact that children were being separated by, 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 their, by, their, by their parents. I, I watched something, uh, uh, actually an, an Instagram message yesterday um, um, from Kamala Harris, and just, just seeing that, that reunion at the airport, it, it was just heart-wrenching. And, and, and I'll say, too, that I, you know, I just recently did a, a road trip, and it's, it, I was passing all these, 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 these um these farms and I saw like a bunch of cows on the, on the, on the, on the hills and, and they had these red tags in the ears. I'm thinking, oh my gosh, they, they, people have to keep better track of their animals than they did the children that were being separated by their parents. So, and that's, that's one thing, uh, one huge glitch for me against what Trump has done because I just, I can't even imagine that kind of separation and, and the, the feelings for the parent and also the child. Yeah, no, I, 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 agree that the the image and and you know i think i think it's pretty universal the the idea of long-term separation of parents and children that's something that nobody wants uh, including president trump um but what's been lost in all of this um is that these separations were happening under obama's watch they absolutely were and you actually saw members of congress democrats um who were saying well i wasn't paying attention then um, when they were asked about the hypocrisy of why, why do you care now? And in fact, there were people in the Obama administration today who had to literally delete their tweets because they were tweeting out images from their own administration in 2014, and they had resurfaced on Twitter as if it were today. And they oh, said, wow. God, look at these cages. Guess what? Those cages were from your administration. I did see that. I saw that. So basically, what happened was that Trump was more effective and more universal, and um, he, he, I think he, he brought attention to the, the crisis that was happening. Um, and Barack Obama actually deported, you know, there was some critics of him called him deporter in chief. I mean, and it, I guess to his credit, he, he tried to do things to strengthen the border, but I just think that the, the, the level of double standards is uh, in, in terms of treatment of, of things that you know, that the Trump is the great Satan when his predecessor was doing the same things, but doing them arguably 
uh, in a more incompetent way uh, because when you look at an American citizen, if an American citizen uh, is committing a crime, they are thrown in jail and they are separated from their family. It's the same concept. And why we treat a foreigner better than we treat a citizen by saying we shouldn't separate, uh, but yet we do that to our own citizens. Um, and we have to look in the mirror, I think. So I, it's definitely a very complicated topic. And I do think um, you mentioned being Canadian. Uh, what's been interesting, despite all the hype from the mainstream media calling Trump Satan, um, his support among Latinos has actually been increasing. This is according to Harvard, because a lot of these immigrants feel like uh, these folks who are trying to cross the border and cut to the front of the line, it, it, it offends the sense of justice that America is built upon. Uh, and that um, I have an individual here at Boulder who works here, and, and he's an immigrant, and he said, uh, from, from uh, Central America, and he said, you know, and he came here legally, and he said, part of why I came here is because America respects the rule of law. But why are people upset about Trump enforcing the rule of law? That's why I came here. This is a country of, of the rule of law. Anyway. See, I don't, see, I don't, I don't know if we're, we're going to necessarily agree. Um, I, think, I think it's just the way, and, and maybe, maybe it wasn't, I don't, I, don't know, I don't know the details. I do, I do know when I was in Georgia, um, I, was, I was aware that there were families that were separated when Obama was in, was in office. I do know that. I, I remember a, a mother being deported um, and left her, left her um, she was left to leave her family behind. Um, but in terms of, like at the airport and that kind of, or not the airport, not the airport, but at, at the border. And I don't know if that happened under Obama, but just the, 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 the optics of, of what we're seeing, um, I'm, I'm not sure how constructive it is or how helpful it is for people. And, and, and also, um, again, it's, it's, it's considering the fact that, that, that they're leaving really, really um, difficult circumstances at home. So I know we, we, can, we can agree to disagree. <laughs> Let's put it that way. Exactly. You know what? We just did a little mini interview. A little yeah, we sure did. <laughs> but, I, but, but, but nonetheless, I'm, 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 I'm excited that, um, that you have founded um, Bold. And so, you're, so you, you're not necessarily in the middle, but you're, but you're, you're bringing the conservative. Well, I personally am. And what I'm saying is that uh, when Clay is at the table, he is absolutely bringing it from the left and we we encourage that dialogue that's what the country needs right now and so um we basically over time like i said through the evolution uh we went from working with glenn beck to working with al roker uh and oh wow that, that's, that's a huge journey it is <laughs> that's what saying. we've gone through many areas. <laughs> because basically what happened was i saw that the country had become very fractured with 2016, uh, and also myself personally, I, I didn't I didn't vote for Trump, and I ended up being a never Trump um, conservative till the end. But you know, in the summer and fall of 2016, I ended up basically personally being Switzerland in many respects, and and moderating a lot of online debates. I'm sure pro Hillary and pro Trump folks. Um, and I and I realized that if we were to just create another right wing, or, or in whatever case a left wing, any sort of echo chamber, that, that this would be contributing to the problem that brought us here. Uh, and so that's uh, when we ended up. Uh, well, the cable deal actually fell through with Glenn Beck in part because he ended up shutting down his entire New York office. Mm -hmm. A lot of people, our deal was canceled, and 
um, we went through this branding uh, uh, renaissance yes. uh, and a series of events, um, met the team who works for Al Roker Entertainment, which is his private company separate from his Today Show duties, complete firewall, no overlap. Um, and his team, uh, digital team, helped us revive the brand, and we, we pivoted and, and turned it into a bipartisan product, and that's where we are today. And um, we had our first show in its current format on September 30th, 2016, on the awesome. show. Uh, we then launched the business show in May of 2017, and we just launched a few months ago, uh, in February, I believe, 2018, our Bold Life show which is lifestyle and, you know, things that are much more fun. <laughs> well, that's awesome. So congratulations on, on, on the journey. Thank you. Thanks. And, and, and what are your plans for Bold? Well, we're going to continue to grow those three verticals. Um, we're, we're growing the conversations in all three areas. Uh, as I said, in politics, uh, we want to help drive positive social conversation uh, around the biggest issues of, of the day on the policy front. Um, in the business show, we bring on entrepreneurs, investors, Wall Street executives, Silicon Valley folks, all sorts of innovators to talk about business. We keep the politics out of it. Um, and we, we focus on the intersection of business and diversity. So we bring in folks, and, and I believe diversity in, in the biggest sense possible, uh, generational, geographic, uh, racial, gender, I mean, all of the above. Absolutely. Um, diversity is a, is, a, is, a, is a very, it should be, I think, a very big word. Um, it's in everything. <laughs> it should be in everything. Yeah. And then the, the lifestyle show is to help you live your boldest life. Uh, and we focus on uh, all the things that make life worth living. Uh, so family and uh uh, bold soul, uh, people who are working in the faith community, um, travel, all those things that make life fun and meaningful. I love that. And, and, I, and I'm very grateful to have been um, invited to, to write an article for you recently. So thank you for that. that was, I enjoyed doing that. Yeah, we, lo we loved having your, your voice. And it was a much needed um, voice of sanity. We need more of those. <laughs> <laughs> I hear you. So how can people, where can people find you? What's the name of your website? So they can check us out on our website. It's www.bold.local. Um, and then our, on Twitter, we're Bold TV. And we're also on Instagram, Bold TV as well, and Facebook, Bold TV. Uh, and we want everyone to be bold. It's basically uh, live the boldest version of yourself. I love that. And I, lo I absolutely love the concept. And it's been such a great pleasure to meet you and to have you on today and to have this um, civil discussion. It actually is possible, right? It is. It, it really is. And it, it's like you go to the gym. It just takes exercise. You just got to keep doing it. You build the muscle up. It's your empathy muscle. <laughs> <laughs> and, it's, and it's great that, you, that we have um, leaders like you who are, who are committed to having the bipartisan dialogue um, let's, let's, say, let's, let's just say, who are committed to having dialogue where you speak, I listen, I, li I listen, you speak. That is, we, we've lost that art, unfortunately, and we need to get back to that. Otherwise, you know, everyone's just screaming and, and there's nothing, that, nothing's being solved, unfortunately. Amen. Great. Well, Miss Carrie Sheffield, I really appreciate you coming on the show today. 
and uh, we will look to bold.global to see your shows. What's that, Mark? Sorry? That's correct. Yep. Okay. Yep. .com. Sometimes people get thrown, and I'm like, .com so 20th century. <laughs> <laughs> so it's bold.global because you are global. That's right. Ple pleasure to meet you. Thanks for coming on. Thanks, Dion. Take care. Take care.